0: Hello, I'm Katie Moon and welcome back to another episode of my series The Mad Moon Podcast in which I speak to other nurses and healthcare professionals about mental well-being and all things to do. Today's episode is the lovely William who is a psychotherapist based in London. Really, really interesting insight into mental health and he shares something that I just think is absolutely amazing which is dynamic running therapy. So he talks all about that as well. So remember, as always, there may be some potentially triggering topics and colourful language. Hello, William. Thank you so much for joining me on the Mad Moon podcast. Good morning,
1: Katie. Look, I've already interrupted you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. That's what it's all about. So we obviously just had a little chat. And as I said, I like to just start with, well, to be honest, I usually start with how do we know each other, but we don't. So it was just via social media, I think, wasn't it? It sure Um, was. Yeah. So that was a very short statement. So following on from that, would you mind just telling the listeners a bit about you, your job role, how you got to that point, and just a bit about what you do?
1: Okay, with pleasure. So. I'm, I'm a 53-year-old psychotherapist who specializes in something called dynamic running therapy. It's a the kind of therapy I developed, which involves doing talk therapy with people while on the move. And often it's walking, running. Um, other than that, it's like any other kind of therapy. Uh, that's what I do. My, I suppose my real interest is in trying to spread the word about the value of um, of exercise for mental health uh, as a way of getting deeper into whatever it is that you need to work out about yourself but also a way of getting away from whatever it is that may be h- hanging over you in rather a heavy way so that's what I call movement is med- Movement is medicine that's what I do
0: so how did you become to be a psychotherapist like when did that journey start uh, it
1: was about 14 years ago uh it involves uh, a, a, a tragic uh, love story. All, all, don't all the best stories involve? It's, it's always loss. There's always a big chunk of loss in there, something. Mm-hmm. Always, always the best tragedy. Anyway, there was, there was a, there was a broken heart, and uh, and then I don't know. I and a midlife crisis. Uh, they all came together. I think I'd been overdoing various other aspects of my life as well and uh, they all it all came crashing down uh, sort of on the eve of my 40th birthday i unable to uh, get myself out of this incredibly depressed and sort of terrorized state i was in i took up um uh well I, a doctor put me on antidepressants that made a huge difference stopped my mad brain i slowed down my mad brain and then i worked out that i needed to get out and get moving so i took up running took up psychotherapy and uh, then trained to become a psychotherapist and then developed a running psychotherapy.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's, I, th- I feel like that's not, I was going to say similar to me, but in the sense that I, I, I'd i like to think it wasn't a midlife crisis because I was only in my 20s, but I similarly ended up having psychotherapy, antidepressants and just had a bit of a, and mine was a broken heart, had a huge breakup after eight years and an engagement and a house, and you know, thought we were really happy. And I, I've done my counseling. So I've done only my level two and my level three, cause I'm already a qualified nurse. I thought I cannot put myself through university again. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It does always come from a broken heart, doesn't it?
1: Often, can I ask you this question? Cause I think it's a really, <clears throat> it's a really important question. Mm. And there's a lot of theory behind it, uh, 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 different ways you can understand whether you should or should not be an advocate for um, antidepressants. And they range everything from, you know, they don't actually work, which is some people maintain, to other people say they're addicted. There's, a, there's all sorts of different answers. I'm interested to see, because you, you know, you have a podcast, you're hosting this. What's,
0: mm-hmm. what's
1: your sort of message to people around that?
0: I think also being a nurse, and I was a research sister for six months. So even though that wasn't a very long time, it was long enough to see what goes into trials. And it's not just whack a tablet together and chuck it out there, the amount of time and just effort and everything that goes into getting a medicine on the market. And then from my own personal experience of antidepressants I'd say they saved my life and I wouldn't say I'm addicted but I've recently had um like withdrawal symptoms because being a busy nurse I let myself run out didn't realize I'd run out couldn't get through to the NHS pod and I became really unwell and I don't think that's a bad thing though because the way I always when people say things like they do because you know they're not aware they've not had mental health issues they've not been on antidepressants or anything like that I'll say if I was diabetic and I needed insulin to stay alive would you say I was addicted to insulin so that is kind of what I say I'm not addicted to antidepressants but they keep me they keep me alive they keep me going and they keep me well and they keep me functioning so yeah I'm all for it I'm a huge advocate for medication it doesn't work for everybody the same tablet won't work for everybody it can very much be trial and error I would say it wasn't just my tablets, it was my psychotherapist who kept me alive and saved my life. It's a combination of things. And yeah, I just think it differs for everybody. I mean, but yeah, the diabetic and the insulin thing is what I always say to people who are like, oh, but you don't want to be on that forever. I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> well,
1: I, you know, I'm, I'm, you and I are obviously on the same page here. The thing I would say to anybody who's listening, um, who is wondering, you know, should I or should I not be on antidepressants, is, I, I, the bit I feel most confident speaking about is, 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 our antidepressants as an intervention when you're deeply depressed and maybe deeply depressed for the first time, or maybe in a way that you haven't been before, and you feel completely debilitated by it the repetitive negative thinking you just can't get it to stop and you can't think straight and um and and i would have never uh, been um an advocate for them were it not for uh, a doctor an unlikely doctor just my gp who uh, i don't know why i was in there i was in there for something else and he said how are you doing by the way and i think he could tell i was down um, and I've known him for a long time. And I said, yeah, no, I'm having a really tough time at the moment, actually. And he said, tell me a little bit about it. And so I did, but only for about so two or three minutes. And then he said, listen, I'm going to tell you that you should take anti... And this is, <laughs> by the way, I'm not going to tell you his name, but this is the same doctor who um, who caused me to half lose my mind in the first place after giving me um, a drug called, uh, what's the anti-malaria one, um, larium. It's an anti-malarial drug you take if you go to Africa, certain parts of Africa, and it has a lot of side effects. And for me, I started having for the first time ever in my life, panic attacks. But anyway, so there's the same doctor sitting in front of me. This time he's saying, why don't you try antidepressants? And I'm like, oh, Christ, here we go. Um, <laughs> where's he going to take me? Which rabbit holes are he going to take me down this time? <laughs> but he said to me, he said, listen, the thing is that these pills will stop all that noise that's going on in your head, it will slow it down to a point where you can then start thinking and actually doing some useful things to turn this ship around. He said, with these pills, I think you can do that in just a few months. He said, without it, I think it'll take twice as long. So it's up to you. Do you want to str- struggle and suffer and, and do it the real way? Or do you, to, do you want to help? Do you want a hand, get it done better, get it done faster? Uh, and get some relief and I'm so pleased I did listen to him because it did change everything and it put me in a place where I could make some decisions and actually do some things just and then you build on that don't you?
0: Yeah and I think it's really hard to explain to people how if you've had a positive experience with antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication it's hard to explain how it works. I don't think people can comprehend that it can stop Like you've described it, that traffic and that busy, busy thinking, that horrible, the thoughts that you just have no control over. and But it really does. It really does work. And without me first starting antidepressants a a good few years ago now, and I've been on an off-thumb, I've been on different ones. and But it enabled me to really get the most out of my therapy and give me that little bit of motivation and self-care and just... Do things that made me feel better that I wasn't able to do and like you so passionately talk about exercise I was able to exercise which I would have never have done I barely brushed my teeth let alone got up and went for a run so yeah huge advocate for antidepressants definitely
1: <laughs> we agree I mean I think also I suppose part of that conversation should should be as long as we're going to bring our our, our expertise to the subject, um, which is uh, considerable in some respects, I think, or worth hearing. I mean, you're a nurse; you've got personal experience, you've your cancer training, and all the rest of it. And 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 I've been a therapist for quite a few years, and I've got my personal thing. So. What what, what, what? then would you say? I've heard what you say about the diabetic and, and, and the insulin. So you're for long-term use where necessary. Mm-hmm. What if somebody's listening and they're thinking, well, I would like to, you know, I'm not sure anymore. I've been on them for some time. I'm not sure anymore. Katie, tell me, what do you think? How shall I know whether I should be on them or not?
0: Yes. I had a friend ask me this actually quite recently, like, Oh, what about being on them forever? And I feel better now. And I always say, but do you feel better now because you're on them? So there's no harm in weaning and trying to come off them. And I think as long as you do it sensibly and not the way I did where I just forgot and couldn't get hold of somebody, as long as a healthcare professional is aware, speak to your GP, get that advice and make a plan, a weaning plan. no harm in that i mean that i did that and i was really well and fine for about a year and then i was trying to conceive couldn't conceive i'm now about to start ivf so uh, during a global pandemic so all these things were happening that were out of my control and i was having the same kind of symptoms again the sleepless nights the insomnia the panic attacks the intrusive thoughts and so sometimes it can be it can just be situational and mm. it just helps you manage that. So our, my advice is just always speak to your GP, always speak to a healthcare professional, somebody who is way more equipped than me at giving you a proper plan if you wish to come off your medication. Don't ever just stop it because I felt so unwell. <laughs> I just stopped. Yeah, I think
1: all that's. I think all GPs, everybody's in agreement on that point. Is, is is don't go cold turkey. It's it's unnecessary. It can be unpleasant and it can be dangerous if you, mm. you know, if you're not ready for it, and um, it can, you can have a quite a swing. I think so. Yeah.
0: So I want to ask you going off antidepressants a little bit (laughs) so you've been a psychotherapist you say for 14 years
1: yeah
0: now this is something that I always talk about on every episode is as a professional who deals with trauma traumatic things the conversations that you have do you have and I think the answer is going to be yes some sort of supervision or protection for your own mental well-being so you're not taking all of your clients and patients traumas on board do you have a is there a process in place for you?
1: There is yes we're all those of us who which are the majority of us who belong to either the UKCP or the BACP which are the two governing bodies uh, there's a requirement to have some sort of supervision and normally that's calculated as a sort of ratio of how many hours you're seeing clients and actually you know the thing about supervision is it's not so much about offloading um, about your clients to a therapist or at least i don't see it that way although it's there for that too Um, i i see it more as uh as something to help you uh with where you get stuck with patients sometimes a patient gets under your skin i mean i'm not sure Maybe this has happened to me once or twice in my life um, in my career And, and you they get under your skin because there's something about how they are in the world and something about how you are in the world and those two things meet and you start it just starts to feel uncomfortable and and you know that you don't have the distance or the perspective or whatever it is that you want. It's very, very, very rare happens. But it does happen, of course, if enough people come through your door, somebody's going to trigger you right that happens in the supermarket, let alone sitting down intensely with somebody opposite you. Um, So that's one of the reasons another one is is uh, what, uh, you know, um, maybe Maybe your client develops a crush on you or the other way around. Uh, it can be useful to work on that. You can start to develop weird feelings, or they can. You become conscious that a younger client is starting to see you as a father figure, which mm. is not necessarily useful. In some ways, it may be. In some ways, it may not be. But it's those sorts of things. You take them to, the, to, to your supervisor, and they'll say, oh, well, what does this, what does this bring up in you? Um, how's this making you feel? What do you think? How are you contributing to this in a good and bad way? Um, uh, are you aware of, of of fatherly transference with other people? You know, is this is is your father a big person in your life? Was he a big person? In your life? You know, so forth. So it let's let's you untangle things. It's what supervision isn't is is really your own therapy. Mm. You you if you need your own therapy, you go and get a therapist and you work on your stuff. A supervisor's there to help you work your way through your client's stuff. Yeah. If you're with me. And and, and where you become enmeshed in that uh, and that too.
0: It, I just think it's amazing though, because as an NHS nurse, we we don't have that. And I think it's very it protects you from your from the complications that can arise like emotionally and whatnot from your profession. And as nurses, we obviously were exposed to really traumatic things. And I think people often instantly go straight to the physical traumas that we see, uh, like the blood, the gore, the, the death. But actually, there is a huge emotional trauma of the moral distress we experience, the compassion fatigue we experience, the, the social issues in our in our patients and the relatives and We can, that some of the things you've referred to, like the relationships that you build with your patients, especially in ITU, we have like long-term respiratory weans. We could care for a patient every shift for three months. That is more than I see any of my loved ones. And I'm doing all of their most intimate personal care and the only person they can speak to. So you build this really kind of intimate relationship with your patients sometimes and their families but we have nobody to then talk to to debrief about any like you say triggers or those things that you, everything you've just described we don't have that and I'm really interested in hearing from people who do have that kind of level of protection because that's how I see it I feel like you're protected because you you have a, a process in place and I just think every healthcare professional should have that I think it really needs to be like completely embedded in our culture that we, we have that so I just think it's amazing and I think well, it's really amazing that you instantly did just bring up about um that transfer of of like the relationship and even having um oh what word you used a word that I'm not going to use I can't remember about like I'm going to say like fancy and like when you fancy your therapist or you develop feelings for them yeah
1: yeah um, it's called erotic transference it's the proper term for is what it. it's called yes I did not know that well anytime you're talking transference you're, you're talking sort of Freudian psychotherapy and I actually don't practice Freudian psychotherapy you just now we're getting into lots of details but yes in in Freudian psychotherapy uh, it's erotic transference um,
0: so what do you practice what because I don't know too much about all of that I've only done my level three <laughs> well,
1: uh, okay so I'm not even sure if, if you looked at uh, at all the therapists in the West I suppose and this is a pure guess I would say 50% is now CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, maybe more, maybe 60, 70%, because it's it can be short term, it can be very effective, it can, and therefore it can be cheaper. And that's one of the reasons why the NHS offers it to, to, to you. Um, and that's behavioral. We just look at your behaviors. We don't care why you're doing what you're doing so much. You just come, you say, look, this is my problem. My, I isolate when I go to parties and think everybody hates me. So we draw a map of you and your your pattern i walk in there <clears throat> and then we look for an exit okay when you walk in don't go and stand in the corner that's where your first problems stay. okay go somewhere else and to go and then the penny drop ticket okay, so that's behavioral then you've got um then you've got humanistic which is what i do and uh, i'm a subset of that i'm person-centered with an accent in in um in uh god what, what's the word i'm looking for um uh what were the french uh philosophers <laughs> i had uh i had some tequila last night so the brain's not working 100 <laughs> percent. i can't even remember Ooh,
0: what, what tequila did you have did you have cocktails uh
1: straight tequila oh um, what's casa amigos is that it it's the one that um that movie star you see the brain really is dead
0: oh why uh, did you have it neat were you shot in it uh
1: yes uh, well yes and no actually on 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 the rocks in a tumbler which is always always very nice it um, sounds
0: very sophisticated and i think what? as soon as i hear the word tumbler on the rocks i think of like a movie
1: <laughs> well, that's, that's, I am incredibly sophisticated I'm glad, if only your your viewers could see how sophisticated I look right now with, with my massively hungover face and uh, my hair everywhere you on the other hand look like Lily Lily James you must get that all the time, do you? I,
0: no, who's Lily James? I used to get told when I was a lot thinner that I looked like, is it Blondie? I thought I was a lot thinner Whereas now I've got a very, like... I'm
1: not trick. feeling that, but I can't remember what Blondie looked like. Uh, no, I can. No, I don't think so. You don't have hers. No, Lily James is the one who... Oh, my
0: God, William, I love you. If this is who <laughs> I think I look like...
1: You found her. Come she on, you didn't see that?
0: I just watched her in a film recently about architect... No, not about architect- yes. yeah
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, archaeologists.
0: Archaeologists. <gasps> see. The same one. Are you joking?
1: No, I'm serious.
0: Oh, my God, I love you. We're going to be best friends.
1: Um, So, and to finish that, uh, uh, okay, so I found the French word I was looking for, existential. Existential, so an accent and existential. So I'm person-centered, I'm humanistic. Humanistic means we, particularly person-centered, instead of digging around uh, in your looking at your behaviors, instead of looking at your past, which is going to be the Freudian bit I'm going to get to, which is the last part of the pie. We humanistic people, we person-centered. We look at, we look at the here and now. We look at the things that you tell us, the choices that you make, and we're always reflecting, or trying to hold that in the relationship between the two of us. So the relationship between client and and therapist is is, is all important, and you're trying to set some ideal conditions and and create, um, you know, trust and um, and and a place where you feel the courage to challenge and be challenged mm. because you know you you need to you need to really bring everything that you've got to the table in therapy there's no point going to your therapist and going, oh you know i'm going to give you all my money but i'm not going to give you i'm not going to tell you who i really am i'm just going to tell you a version of who i am so i'm going to i'm going to, admit, I'm going to pay you to believe this about me <laughs> and pay but also pay you so that you don't think these things about me that's not the point you might as well just go in there and, <laughs> as soon as, as soon as you've established trust because that's the most important thing don't stop it. if you don't like if, just because the therapist has a big there's a nice black suit on or something or or, or looks or, or a fancy pair of spectacles or something um, don't think that that necessarily makes for a great therapist. What makes a great therapist is somebody you zing with, uh, and some, you know, somebody who you who who you have that good chemistry with. Anyway, once you've established that, and if you establish it, then you might as well bring most of your stuff as quickly as possible in a useful way. You know, you don't need to jumble up the space, but but holding back. Um, you know, generally speaking. Uh, just delays the whole process but then that's you know if you lined up 10 therapists in a room all of them would have their own wisdom this is just my wisdom it's not I shouldn't make it sound like it's anything more than that
0: no it's so interesting though like hearing because obviously I've been I've had a therapist and I saw her weekly for about 10 11 months like so it's just so interesting that the things you're saying and how relatable they are I mean even when you mentioned like the transferring and the relationship like I was really lucky in that we had an amazing like rapport straight away but then afterwards about a year and a half after I'd stopped seeing her I suddenly and I mean really suddenly had this horrendous anxiety that I was a terrible human being because I never I never knew how she was didn't know if she had children I couldn't remember one of her cat's names I was worried if they were alive still or not um i suddenly had all this concern for her and for her well-being and i didn't know anything about her and it was so bizarre but she was like no don't worry like i've had this before it's it's because you're a rescuer and this that and the other and she sent me this lovely email back and i was wondering if you ever had anything like that where a client has had all this sudden concern for you <laughs> uh
1: no i haven't but you sound like you you had a great therapist there you really oh, do
0: amazing absolutely amazing um
1: no lucky you um i think i've had personally i've had the kind of therapy that i don't believe in which is the opposite of what you're describing which is you know some people do and some people believe in and it has good purpose but you walk into and you sit down and the therapist says absolutely nothing and waits for you to initiate conversation Um, all conversation is initiated by you you know and 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 of course it makes the client um, anxious you know why why is he just staring at me why is he saying anything how do i know that i'm getting my money's worth how does this what is this person just thinking about doing the shopping uh, on friday i won't well, why aren't they being nicer to me why i'm being my best to be a really nice useful client here i'm i've got all this goodness i thought we came here to do this great thing together and you're just sitting there staring at me like i'm a brick and there is a there are people who work like that who believe i'm not one of them but i I, and I do see the value in it um so i i don't question the value i just question whether it has to be that way uh, is that sort of three sessions in you're going to turn around to that therapist and you're going to say what the hell is going on here why (laughs) and and you might do it in quite a sharp way you might go you, you know what i finally had enough of walking in here and you just sit there and you don't say anything. And that's when the therapist, some therapists, that for them, that's a light bulb moment. That's when the work begins. They're like, okay, this now let's, let's have this person fucking show up in this room together. That, this is the person I wanna hear from. You sound angry. Who is that? Why, why are you angry? Who are you angry at? What's this really about? What happened to your voice? Can we bring that voice forth? Can that person be part of this? And then, of course, they might just shut up again for the next three sessions. And you sit down and, and you may or may not feel manipulated and it may or may not work out for you. And that's therapy, right? And that's life and that's love. And you and I have been on the on the, on the the wrong end or well, the tough end of love. And of course, there's always a, a beautiful end to love, mm-hmm. a beautiful beginning to love too. And sometimes a beautiful end to love. But there's no getting out of this uh, this party alive, is there? One way or another, you some love affairs are going to stink. 20, 30, 40% of therapy is going to stink. Um, you know, we're all, uh, that's what I wanted to ask you actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're younger than me. I'm not going to ask your age, but I'm pretty sure you're significantly younger than me. <laughs> um, and that, so, and I'm aware of the culture wars as they're, as they're framed. And I, and I know that we live in a very, um, sensitive world now and sensitive in many great ways but I also do wonder if we haven't become a little bit too sensitive and to and there's just we're, we're, I'm wondering because you said to me uh, when you how do you how do you protect yourself from getting overburdened by your client's stories you brought that up and the answer I would tell you which is what everybody everybody asks that question is um is you know one has a black sense of humor mm. um, and 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 it amuses oneself and one uses humor you don't take yourself too seriously you know where the real work is you you you, you bracket that work and then after that you don't i'm not saying that that, that i make jokes about my clients to my friends but I might make jokes about psychotherapy in general to my friends or about how neurotic I am and or about how neurotic one of my friends is. And there's a level of humor in there where it just reminds me, I don't have to be responsible. I don't have to be perfect. Mm. That's what I want. And that's the question I'm trying to ask you is, do you think that out there on the ward with your colleagues, you're putting so much on, on the table, aren't you? So much, as you said, three months, intimate, intimate stuff. Do you think there's less of that of that humor defense now than there used to be? Are people so careful now with with the language they use for themselves, for each other, and getting everything right? We live in this age now where you're policing yourself. have got to think right, gotta act right, gotta talk right. It sounds like a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah, there is. There is definitely a lot of pressure. I mean, we still definitely have the darkest sense of humor and even in the most traumatic situations, something can happen. And it's like when, you, when you're when you at school and you go to church and you're not supposed to laugh. And that makes you want to laugh even harder. And it's like that it's sometimes in nursing, the most awful thing can be going on, but then just something triggers and you and your colleague just want to cry with laughter. So we still very much have that, but I think it's, it's I find it hard to explain. I think it's the fact that there's the huge generational difference in healthcare. And I don't know why that is. It feels like there's nobody in the middle. You've kind of got the old school nurses and then the new generation of nurses. And there's not many people in the middle. I don't know where they've gone. But you
1: divide the two. What's the difference between the two then?
0: So this is definitely massively generalizing, massively. Okay. But we would kind of say, like, you know, oh, she's an old school nurse, she's a matron, or he, but it is mainly obviously still a very female dominant role. And they are very much leave it at the door. Pull yourself together. Don't cry. Don't show emotion. You're the one that has to support the family. How are they going to feel if you fall apart? You're not made for this. You're not tough enough for this. You're not made for ITU. You're not going to last as a nurse. And it's that. Wow, you, sound,
1: you sound like you, you you, you, know this person pretty well.
0: I've heard it a few times, a few people. Um, and it's that kind of matron, old school hierarchical you know they they're in charge you respect them they've earned their position mm. and not open they won't share anything about their personal life with you because you're a colleague why would I spend my why would I share anything with you and that very just very closed um whereas we come in and I'd sit and talk about my IVF about my cervix about my dodgy shaped womb and somebody say you're you okay and I'll say no I didn't have a really good weekend I really I spoke to my dad and I really really miss him I feel quite down today and I just say it I just say exactly what's on my mind exactly what I'm thinking whereas you've got the old school yeah. oh do you have a nice weekend yes thanks it was lovely when actually they they had a family death and they're all they're really sad and they've got loads going on or they're going through a divorce or and it's not even necessarily that we want them to divulge that level of detail but just giving us a bit being a bit more open and saying, oh, actually, I had a quite a difficult weekend. I feel a bit out of sorts today. And you go, like, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'm here if you do want to chat. And that's... Yes,
1: Normalising it. Normalising yeah. a little bit of, of sharing. That sounds good.
0: Yeah, but you've got the extremes. You've got myself and definitely the younger generation. We're over-sharers. And that's what we get called that we're too sensitive. Yes,
1: oversharers, overfeelers. over-feelers. I think the older generation can say you're feeling too much. And 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 you know the way I was brought up, and I had I had Victorian grandparents who really raised me, and they really were Victorian. Uh, and they were. They, it's not just that they They're very Protestant English. You know, mm. thou shalt not. That not only shalt thou not think these things or feel these things, but thou shalt feel bad if thy does because <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because thou would be self indulgent, and it's not about you. What are you spending your time thinking about yourself for? Get out there, do something useful, help somebody else. Stop thinking about yourself.
0: Mhm. Yeah, that is exactly it. All
1: sorts of problem, and and it may or may not be that these matrons uh, have problems. How do you measure who's got bigger problems? How do you measure which which approach, the young or the old? Which approach works better? I don't know. I really don't. I just know that there seems to be a um, a simultaneous. Explosion in mental health problems in this country, and it seems the timing seems. Well, it's two things that seems to be correlated with. One is the one is the the internet, um, mm-hmm. and young people, particularly women, seem to struggle for various reasons. It seems that the internet doesn't lend itself to female friendship, the kinds of friendships that women have with each other. It sounds very sexist, but uh, anyway. Um, and then and then and, and maybe these culture wars too, where where the press is telling us or we're getting this message, thinking that everybody else is out there policing themselves and being brilliant when actually it's just a few activists, it's just a few activists at, 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 at Ivy League colleges and um, and people with big Instagram accounts and whatever else it may be who, who make a lot of noise and people who then get to go on the news and young people with, who want to advocate. That's great, you know, uh, that's fantastic. But the press has got behind it in a way that it, it, it's made it the new norm and it's made everybody question, you know, and, and that's a great thing. And there are many great things about that. We are questioning things we haven't questioned before, but the degree of questioning I mean, I have read so much around this area and listened to so much around this area, and in the end, my final analysis of it all is, is that all change, it tends to be violent. We are in a very changing time, so it's going to be violent, it's going to be fast, but that also, the only other piece that makes sense to me is that for those people who say, look, you may feel that it's excessive. Um, it needs to be excessive. And I'm sorry, but I need if we're going to make any real change here, we're going to need to pull you way, way out of your comfort zone, say some things that sound a little bit extreme and crazy. um, And then maybe it'll rebalance somewhere in the middle to the place it should be. But we need we need loud voices and, and, and we need we need to really challenge the status quo. So, you know, I'm sympathetic to that, too. Unfortunately, I'm so old now, it doesn't really matter to me anyway. (laughs) I'm the the old white male that everybody hates. I'm okay with that.
0: (laughs) Hello, everyone. So me and William just had a little break and a little waffle. Um, It was mainly an opportunity for me to brag about my socially distanced birthday party in the garden later. Um, Right, there is something I did want to ask you about, because you mentioned it really fleetingly. So... You said about social media and, well, like the internet. And I just told you my age and we know that there is a, a generational two differences. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I agree. There's a huge issue with the internet and social media and the pressure. And I'm really glad that you actually did mention about the... Well, you mentioned women, and you said you thought it was sexist, but I didn't think that what you said was sexist, but you did mention, like, relationships, or was it friendships? I just want to ask, what, do you, what did you mean? Like, if you don't mind elaborating a little bit more.
1: Um, well, I was... Uh, the reason I call it sexist is just because it seems that we're not allowed to categorise much anymore, generalise, stereotype, anything, not by gender, not not by... Everything... Uh, has its own special quality uh, and should not be grouped together mm. um, it seems a little bit um anyway I, I see the value in, in, in both ways one of the nice things about being a therapist is it trains you to see both sides of everything so you're constantly it's uh, it makes you a bit neurotic or further neurotic than you may have been um <laughs> <but> <laughs> But it also detaches you a little bit from the burden of or, or the tyranny of meaning, as people talk about. It detaches you from the need to know the truth, because you realize that no matter how far you dig, uh, you're never going to find it. You're always going to be you're always going to be launching off from some um, biased area. Uh, and if you're a conservative, you, you could try and think like Labour or okay, Labour. Either which way, when you get good at putting the other people's shoes on, you can see it's like being in a relationship, right? When you're, what you have to learn um, when you're in a romantic relationship with somebody is to validate somebody else's expressions, somebody else's experiences. When they say, when they say, "Listen, it really upsets me that you're five minutes late," and you're just like, "Well, mm, you know, culturally, five minutes is not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's ten minutes or something," you know. Um, Uh, And and they're like, look, it really does. And then you might say, well, that, to be honest, I think you need to pull yourself together. You have to decide. There are things we have to validate each other's experiences. And by doing that, we learn that everything is, um, is, is relative. You know what? something meaningless may may really upset you something that's meaningless to me may really upset you and vice versa it doesn't make any sense but what matters is that you are upset and you're asking me to notice that and at the very least you're trying to say well listen can you help me with this because whether you like it or not whether my my being upset makes sense to you or not i am bloody upset yeah. and I would like one I'd like you to know that and hear it and know this about me but two maybe you could work with me but the first part would be you just hearing me say it and if you could can take it on board. I probably won't even get upset. You can show 15 minutes late from now and I won't even care. But it's the fact that every time it's 10 minutes, I go into this place, you, you know, roll your eyes at me like I'm some sort of hypersensitive human. You make me feel small. I hate you. And that's why I slept with your brother yesterday. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think it's so important. I'm always banging on about this, about validating people's feelings, because, like you've said, it's all relative. And sometimes we don't get it. We don't get why someone's so torn apart by something but that we would just be like, it's really not a big deal. But to them, it is. And like you've said, it, it doesn't matter what we think, it, we have to just focus on the fact that they are upset. And I think in, in nursing, I've noticed we're terrible at validating people's feelings. We're terrible at giving them that space to, to just be sad or just to feel. And that comes with what I'm always banging on about, again, compassion fatigue. So there are healthcare professionals who have been in the role for so long, they just ha- in a complete state of compassion fatigue. So they just cannot empathize because they're just like, well, I've seen ai have seen a thousand deaths. So. Like, get a grip pull yourself together because they're just they've just ran out of any compassion whatsoever whereas if they just recognize that it's okay that that's what their experience is but actually that nurse who's only been a nurse for six months is really distraught by that death rather than telling her to pull herself together just let her be sad validate her feelings it is sad that that patient had a traumatic death I'm sorry I'm, do you know what I mean it's we're terrible at validating people's feelings. And I don't think it is just nursing or healthcare professionals. I think it's humans.
1: Well, it's particularly the English as well, you know, where we're, we're supposed to. We still got some of that stiff upper lip ha- thing happening in this country. It's certainly, it's where I was brought up. So, um, but there is value in it, you know, it, mm. there really is. On the front line, a stiff upper lip is a great thing to have mm. for your own personal, you know. If you're a soldier, if you're a policeman, now who's on the receiving end of your stiff upper lip? If you're a nurse and you've got a stiff upper lip, it may not be so great for your patients. Yeah. I think I think what the old what the old guard are trying to say to these young nurses is, look, I I've been on the front lines. I've been I've been you and I've been all the way to me, and it's been a long struggle. And I'm gonna try and give you a little bit of my wisdom. Uh, I'm going to try and visit it on you now so, so that you don't take as long as I did or whatever, getting to where you need to get to. Yeah. And of course, the vision, your vision of the world changes as you get older as well, doesn't it? So that's another thing you have to validate is that they're looking through different spectacles. Why do I keep on saying spectacles? Where am I, <laughs> I feel like I'm in Downton Abbey or something. It's because you brought the Lily James to this. I've turned into uh, Lord Grantham uh, with his spectacles. Glasses, they're called glasses.
0: Or if you're from Carv, glasses. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, no, but going back to the thing, well, why did I say that thing about um, uh, about young women, girls, whatever? Um, I guess we're talking sort of. I don't. I don't. I. I think. I don't know. Te- teenagers, I think, is where it hits them hardest. I, th- I think it probably starts before that, but I have read that. There's something about the way women's friendships tend to, when they're together at school or at houses, the way they communicate with each other is very nuanced. Uh, there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on, much more so than I think with, with with boys or men. And so, in the same way that any of us will will know from from um, trying to have a relationship where we're silly enough to say important things on whatsapp only to be deeply misunderstood whatsapp does not help often when you're going through a difficult time in a relationship and you start sending you know four (laughs) three page whatsapp messages um it's just not a great way to communicate and 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 social media for, for for teenage girls it all comes out wrong that's what i'm reading that's what i heard but then the media companies have spent a lot of money and will tell you that there's nothing wrong with social media. There's nothing wrong with excessive screen time either. Excessive screen time apparently is great for your mental health. I don't see how that can possibly be the case, but they will defend that all the way up to wherever. They'll say that, you, that, that actually there are just as many um, people who are, who are benefiting from social media as there are who are um, suffering from it. So, for instance, people who are uh, feel disconnected and isolated in themselves, or maybe literally are, either because they don't have any friends or they're miles away from anywhere where there are people. Those people can feel connected all day long through the world wide web, uh, and they can spend twelve hours a day connecting to people. So, I, you know, that's not a bad that's not a bad uh, a comeback if you think about it. But I still think you'd do better off. You know, finding some real friends, get off, get off there, and go off and do do some things. You know, but then I'm the guy pushing movement on her the movement pusher.
0: I think it has, like with communication, definitely. I don't think we're good communicators, and I definitely agree with what you said about women. So I've got so many things swimming around in my head, but I'll go back to what you said about about women and female friendships and relationships, and I definitely feel like as I'd like to think of myself still as a young woman um we're kind of always pitted against each other it's almost like everything in the world every brand every every magazine every movie everything is it's like women are always in competition with each other and again it's down to that openness like we're always thinking god why does she get to look like that how why, why was she why is she so perfect or why does she think she's so perfect or think she's so beautiful or this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. And it's all this jealousy that's kind of ingrained into us. And this, this is so unhealthy and it's so bizarre when you strip it back. But I think something that I've seen a big change over the last five years is all these like, you know, socially acceptable, beautiful, perfect women. They're now actually saying, hang on a second, I've got a filter on. I've got four hours worth of hair and makeup. Here's what I looked like before. This yeah. is posed. This is here's these yeah. all the lighting, all the, or the cat. There's a prote- professional photographer, and they're like, "But this is what I really look like." Or they'll say, "Yeah, but I've had a I've had all this work done. I wasn't born like this." And people are now owning it and showing what they really look like. So I think it's I think it's getting better. But then it's only if you're aware of that and you have access to that. But if you continue to follow the pages and the people who aren't open about that kind of stuff and keep giving you this false sense of this perfect life, then you've got all these girls with this internalised misogyny where they're resenting other women because they look how perfect their life is. And it's just so complicated. But yeah, everything's just pitted against women and we're not allowed to age. God forbid we have grey hair. God forbid we have wrinkles. You know, men are distinguished and look handsome and get better with age. But if we did the same, God, we're uh, awful. We're haggard. Let, we've let ourselves go. Uh, if,
1: if you if you get angry or emotional, um, you're not powerful. You're hysterical. Right? Oh if, yeah. I can. If I lose it. I, you know I'm, I'm a tough guy and I'm, yeah. and I'm holding my ground. If you do, oh God, look, she can't even keep her stuff together anymore. What's wrong with her? She must have yeah. some mental health issues. <laughs> uh, you know, see, see I don't know if I think this is how you pr- pronounce it pretty patel. Now, I know that some people really hate her, and I I don't really know that much about her, but I do know that she is accused of being a, a bully a lot. But she's a powerful woman. I think she's Asian, and maybe that plays its part too. But I feel like there's some misogyny in there, and I don't think, I don't think. I don't think 30 years ago people were attacking Maggie Thatcher going, oh, look, she's a bully. She was a goddamn bully. She bullied (laughs) an entire cabinet of of men. Mm -hmm. Most of them had been to Eton and and Oxford, and she made all of them feel like boys. Um, You know, she bullied the hell out of them. So... I think I'm I'm very sympathetic. I think women uh, have have a tough role. I also don't think there's enough talk about what a tough time men have too. We yeah, um, for the
0: opposite reason, for the reason that you know you got to man up, toughen up. Yeah. Like you can't be sensitive, you can't show emotion, and oh, I can't I can't imagine what that would be like, and not being able to not to have those resources and those tools to communicate and be open and. Yeah, and I mean you've only got to look at the statistics to see how difficult men have it and it's awful. It's not it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, but also, you know, I often do think well, I mean, women are the fairest sex by so many in so many different ways. I'm not saying that women can't start wars and destroy families and and whatever, but but the fact is is that is that the prisons are full of men. And the, and 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 the nine out of ten killers are men. Mm. And women are normally killed by men that they know. Men lose their shit a lot, and they take it out on women, mm. and they rape women. They do all sorts of things. There are also many fantastic men. You know, this is a small percentage of society, mm. but nonetheless, if we're going to be fair in this conversation, it should be recognised that um, that yeah, we we definitely um, our small percentage is a lot bigger than your small percentage. Um, and yeah, and that may change in time. I think. I think men are going to. I think part of the reason men kill women and kill each other is, is is that they don't know how to do all the things you've just been talking about. Emote, share. It all gets stuffed inside of them until, and you know, we're we're much more quick. Our testosterone leaves you much more um, vulnerable to to rage. And, and you know, anybody who's experienced rage, and and, and I've experienced it i've been raging and i've been on the receiving end of rage and there is something out of control about it and it's something really unpleasant and it's it's so yeah you know it's it's tough it's tough for everybody well everybody just needs a hug is that right
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh do you know what funny that you say that i just had a little look at this and look what my dad sent me sending you a hug oh look at that How funny. Funny. i literally just glanced <laughs> at this. And and you know what's funny about this as well? He's put aggressive birthday squeeze soon. I hope because my dad is a really aggressive hugger. I feel like he's gonna break my ribs when he hugs me. (laughs) But no, it's hard, isn't it? Like we just and the pandemic, we've missed all that human contact. And I don't know how I'm gonna feel when people start to hug me again. I feel like I'm gonna be really standoffish and really freaked out. But then I've been in ITU for parts of this pandemic, so I've seen. The, the worst of it and I've still got anxiety now about my I was calling my mother-in-law but my partner's mom, she's vulnerable and she's been shielding and she's in her 60s and it's just gonna be weird I mean how do you feel about hugging people again and are you an affectionate person anyway?
1: Oh uh, yes I would say I am I mean yes yeah I mean I tend to greet people with a kiss or a hug mm. um, uh, so, yes, I would say I am. And I try, and I, I definitely am in relationships, I am. Um, uh, and I, I think I'm pretty quick to pay people a compliment if I feel like it's there. Uh, I suppose affection also means sharing how you feel, mm-hmm. not just what you think about somebody, oh, look, don't you look great, or didn't you do a great job? It's also about saying that this is how I feel about you. That's where I'm not so great. In in relationships, I'm fine, mm-hmm. as you know, you're all loved up and and it, and it flows. But uh, but in friendships and it's always a bit tougher. Well, even in even those more difficult conversations, even in relationships are hard, right? It's easy to tell somebody how much you love them, why you love them, how much you're feeling that love. But it's harder to say, oh, you know, I'm the love I feel for you makes me feel terrified that A, B, C, or D. And sometimes I wonder. Are you thinking the same thing or can I, is my love well placed with you? Mm. Is it you, is it because of who you are that I can't sleep well at the moment? I don't know where to put this anxiety that I have. I don't know, does it belong to you? Does it belong to me? Can we talk it out without the pair of us becoming anxious lovers? What will it mean? (laughs) Where will we go? Will it affect our sex life? you know, will you look at me differently as a man if I start telling you that I have anxiety? Mm. You can go on and on and on and on and on, can't you?
0: Yeah, it's so complex. Life and relationships, <laughs> It's they're just so, so, so complex. I just think we should really have, like, I think every child should have to have therapy at school. I think it should be part of the curriculum. I think it would just do the world wonders. <laughs> Isn't
1: that kind of what they do at, what are those two, Montessori and the other one? Yeah. Um, the other kind of school, anyway, there are there are different. There are these specialist schools. I mean, they're private. I think developed in in Europe somewhere. Montessori, I think, might be it's either French or maybe Danish or something. But yeah, there they 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 concentrate very much on play activities. This is when you're very young, you know, sort of two through eight or something. Um, and, and 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 all the lessons come much later. But what comes first is learning how to play and learning how to play fairly. Mm points montessori and i can't remember the other but yeah no i agree completely i agree with that that's where we should all we should all get a friend of mine's trying to do something like that at the moment trying to change um education in this country but um you know that's a big behemoth that that uh, you know good luck with that
0: yeah oh that'll be amazing though i mean when i think back to school i think there's so little i remember or have gained any benefit from and there is so much that I wish I would had actual edge like education. And I know there's the whole, we were, we were definitely won't get into this, but the whole, you know, but what are your parents responsible for and all there's that big argument, but yeah, I just think I'd have definitely benefited even from like an on uns- on site counselor. I mean, I'm sure we had one, but nobody was made aware of it. I think you were just referred if there was something really, really severe, you know, social issues going on, but.
1: Those school years are so tough, aren't they, you know, and you, when you look at the statistics for um, for the outcomes for people who were bullied or, or were bullies, the, the long tail on that just never ends, you know, you might have been bullied for a year, but you're going to have all sorts of problems, many of those people will, for the rest of their lives, that shit. and if you've got a parent that bullied you, you know, <clears throat> So yeah, those school years can be tough. If you have if your hair was a little bit too red, if you were too tall, you weren't tall enough. <laughs> People find a way. There, everybody's got something, right? You know, it's tough. It's tough.
0: thank you so much again to william for coming on and to all of you lovely listeners please remember to subscribe rate and review it does make a really big difference check out the show notes for help plans and websites to utilize for yourself colleagues anybody that you know that may need some support and if you don't already remember to follow me on instagram at the mad moon podcast twitter the mad moon pod or email me themadmoonpodcast at gmail.com And remember, you can now also catch me on First Choice Radio every Saturday from 1pm.